Hi, this is John Ankerberg, and today I want to present to you my very, very good friend, Dr. Wayne Barber. For 18 years, he was pastor of the huge Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was co-teacher with Kay Arthur for 14 years at Precept Ministries. He studied with Dr. Spiro Zodiades and co-hosted with him the national radio and TV program, New Testament Light, for 10 years. Wayne has taught the message of living grace, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, all around the world. He is president, founder, and principal speaker of Living Grace Ministries. And in February of 2011, he returned to Woodland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as senior pastor. Wayne's authored several books. The most recent one is entitled Living Grace, Letting Jesus Be Jesus in You. And he has also co-authored The Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber. We're going to be talking about the key of believing. The key of believing. And I, well, I could subtitle it, You Must Be Born Again. You've got to be born again and understand that. We're going to look at that tonight. When I was about nine years old, my father, you would have loved my daddy. When in heaven, you, you're going to know which one he is. He's probably the most patient man other than Jesus and God up there. You're going, to, you're going to know because he had to put up with me all those years. He took me to a trout pond one day. It was in a big park, and he had to be under 12 years old to, to go, and the daddies could take their sons. And so he takes me to fish. I've got a bass plug on it. If you ever fish for trout, you don't fish for trout like you do bass. But I didn't know. He had a tackle box, and I put this plug about that long on it. And I, you know, I would hyperventilate any time whenever I went fishing. Daddy would have to take a bag with him. Not be for a while. Because I just get, I couldn't wait. Here we are with all these kids around this pond. It's stuck with trout. And they were going to give prizes for the most and prizes for the biggest fish. <laughs> and I read back that the little guy, the guy had a, a bullhorn, and then he fired a pistol and said, okay, it's time to go. And of course, we had so many hours to fish. I took that thing, fired back, <laughs> and I hooked a goose. <laughs> and you know, the hooks just went, <laughs> and that big old bass plug. And immediately I thought, you know, who knows? I just, I felt something and I started jerking. Well, the, the goose <laughs> starts flapping and gets up off of the water. Well, everybody there is saying, look, 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 and I got this goose. And you just have to have known my dad. I just wish that you could have seen the look on his face. It was like, oh, no. <laughs> it's kind of like he wanted to say. He didn't say a lot because he was a very quiet, very patient man. But it's kind of like he was saying, Wayne, if it looks like a goose, <laughs> makes sounds like a goose, and if it flies like a goose, it's probably a goose, not a trout. But he didn't. He was very kind. You know, it's kind of like that old, old phrase, you know, it's, it's what is salvation and why is it important to marriage, okay? That's what we're going to look at. A marriage is God's ideas. He, he, he has designed it as a covenant relationship. And we're doing a series on covenant right now that if you'd like when we finish, it's going to be available to you. But if you want to understand covenant, covenant relationship is where two people enter into a oneness and each lose their right to independent living. Now, if you don't understand covenant, you don't understand marriage. See, some people have a contract for a marriage, but they have no clue what a covenant is. It's hugely different. Not a creed, it's not a contract, it's a covenant you enter into together. 
and, it, and it's a beautiful thing. It's, it's based on love. Each, like I said, each one loses their right to independent living. But there's something that has to be settled before we enter into this covenant relationship called marriage. Now, that's if you haven't gotten married, and we've had some in here that haven't gotten married, wanting to know what marriage is all about. Or if you are married, it needs to be settled now before you would go on. If we don't settle this issue tonight, this first key, everything else we'll say in this course will mean absolutely nothing. You've got to get this down first. If you're not in covenant with God through Jesus Christ, then you're not saved. That's a word we use a lot, but there's other words to describe that relationship. You can't expect marriage, which is God's design, to work if he doesn't live in you. And that's just, that's bare basics. But we've got to go over this, and you'll find out why we brought this up at the end. If you do not know Christ, if you've never received him into your heart, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many seminars you go to, and no matter how many tapes you listen to, your marriage will not work the way God says it's supposed to work. Now, you can. You can come up with a relationship, and you can, you can have a relationship, and you can talk yourself into saying that it's what God wants. Have you ever gone into a dark restaurant at night? You know why they're dark? So that you can't see the prices. I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a scary thing. And you go in, and it's so dark you can hardly read the menu, and you have to get over next to whatever it is, a candlelight or whatever it is. Have you ever noticed when you sit there for about 20 minutes how much lighter the room seems to get? And all of a sudden you're thankful that it's gotten lighter, and what you end up doing is calling the darkness light because you've adjusted to it. They see a lot of people's marriage have adjusted to the darkness. They still don't know what God has in mind for them. That's why we're unlocking these doors. Because as you unlock them one at a time, they begin to unfold the design that God has for you. So tonight, the key of believing. Before we do any marriages around here at Hoffmantown, and Matt's pretty much over that right now, Matt Wallace, uh, the first thing we do is find out if that person knows Christ. Because you know what we found? If they don't know Christ and they find out that we have that as a standard, and they don't want to hear what we have to say, they're going to go down the street. They'll find a place to get married. They can go to a justice of the peace. The state looks at it as a legal matter. We look at it as a covenant relationship, and we're not about to budge if somebody doesn't know Christ before we do that marriage. Now, sometimes they tell you they do, and you go through all the questions. The best thing you can do is take their word for it move on. But we try to make sure that that base is covered first. I can't say enough about how critical this key is to this whole course, and you're going to see why in the weeks to come. One of the most common terms that we talk about when we talk about salvation is the term, and you probably already know, born again. We hear it everywhere. Of course, now they've taken it, put it into sports. That quarterback's been born again. I'm thinking they're talking about he's got a better career at this team than he had in the last team. I mean, we've so watered it down, very few people even know what it means anymore. It really means to be born from above, by the way. If it was literally translated, it wouldn't be born again, it would be born from above. That's, that's the idea of it. It occurs only twice in the whole New Testament, and that's found in the book of John with a particular man that Jesus is dealing with, and that man's name is Nicodemus. Now, I love Nicodemus. We can learn so much from just looking at the stages he had to go through before he came to know Christ. Because this is where, this, every Sunday when I stand behind the pulpit, we basically have all three of these stages right there in front of me. We've got people that know Christ and have walked with him for years. We've got people that maybe have just come to know Christ. We've got people who think they know Christ and they don't. We've got people that are curious. We've got people that are confused. It's, it's amazing.
when we stand before any congregation, no matter where it is. And it's very prevalent today, by the way, what we're going to see in Nicodemus. In his life, as you studied this week, hope you did your homework. <laughs> and by the way, any suggestions you give me along the way, we're a work in progress, so we'll, we'll receive those. I want us to look at the stages he had to go through. And you see him in John 3, you see him in John 7, and you see him in John 19. And each time, there's a little different aspect of his life than what you saw in the time before. So, we first see him in chapter 3. And here's what we find with him. He's, he's curious, and then you're going to see him go from curiosity right into confusion. I mean, he's going to be very confused by the time Jesus finishes with him. <laughs> He's going to shake, Jesus is going to shake this old boy in his boots. And so, but he's curious right now. And like so many today, he was a religious man. This is, this is, but something that sparked his curiosity. Uh, he was a very religious man, but he didn't know that he was a lost man. You say, how can that be? How can anybody be religious and lost? Well, hopefully you'll see that tonight. This is critical for us to understand. Many people today have joined the church, and I think they've joined Jesus. See, in their minds, the church is the means of salvation. And that comes in all kinds. You can't point a finger at this religion or that. Baptists do the same thing. And they think that because they went forward and prayed a prayer, that prayer somehow saved them. Didn't realize Jesus saves you, not a prayer. <laughs> it's the attitude of the heart. And when, oh well, we'll, you're going to hear our testimony later on. But they miss Jesus in the whole process. And it's, this is probably one of the things that burdens me more than anything else is the situation of the church in the 21st century. How many people are on church rolls in America and consider themselves to be saved and have missed Jesus completely in the process? First John, or John, not first John, John 3, 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees, now this is identifying him right here, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now we see him then identified as a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. What does that mean? You can't find any more religious people in all of Scripture than the Pharisee. In fact, you know what the Pharisees did? They, did, they figured they couldn't obey the Ten Commandments. Nobody could obey that. Remember, Paul said, you try to obey one, or you miss it in one, you're, you're responsible for all of them. The only man that ever stood before the Ten Commandments, totally righteous is the Lord Jesus, the God-man. But no man could do it. That's what condemns all of us. That's what God gave the law so that men could have their sin exposed. That's what frustrated them and made them ready for the covenant of grace which the Lord Jesus brings in. But the Pharisees, they decided to add the laws that they knew they could do. You ever done that? I know I can have my quiet time at 4 o'clock in the morning. Have you ever tried that, by the way, and thought yourself more spiritual than everybody else because you had your quiet time at 4 o'clock? I read a book one time. The guy said, God only uses those who get up at four in the morning. And I said, you know, I'm going to be one of those he uses. And I've always wanted that in my life. So I got up at four. Four or five, whatever time it was. And I, and I got on my knees and made the biggest mistake of my life. I closed my eyes. <laughs> About 7.30, I woke up and had the biggest cramp my leg I ever had in my life. And I said, there's something not right with this. That's something we can do. You can give out a track. You can do a lot of things. And some people forget that that doesn't make you spiritual. Jesus is your spirituality. And so they added 613 laws that they themselves could obey. Remember what Paul said? According to the law, I was found blameless. What law? <laughs> Couldn't have been the moral law of God. It had to be these laws that the Pharisees, because he was a Pharisee, had come up with. He'd obeyed every one of them. He said, man, I'm, I'm blameless. But the problem 
with religion. Now, these Pharisees, if you closely watch them, they'd be squeaky clean. But even the way they, uh, what they ate from, even the way they washed, I mean, this, this was incredible. You, you'd follow them around, you'd think, good, these guys, these guys are, must be spiritual. These guys are squeaky clean. But the problem was, you know what religion does? It's got a, it's got a positive aspect to it. Religion can only change you from the outside. It can change your behavior. It can change your behavior. If you don't believe that, look at a Muslim, how they dress. What's changed in their behavior? How do they relate to one another? They have their own rules. You look at the Jews, they had their own rules. You look at any religion in the world, and it changes people's behavior. But here's the problem with any religion, whether it be Baptist or anything else, it does not change the heart. Only Christ coming in can change the heart. Now, Nicodemus knew all of that stuff because he was a Pharisee. He didn't understand what Jesus was going to tell him. Right now, he's just really curious about the Lord Jesus. Well, you had to be a Pharisee, like Nicodemus was, in order to be a ruler of the Jews. The ruler of the Jews, men, was a part of the Sanhedrin. Who were the Sanhedrin? That was the Supreme Court of Israel. Buddy, you talking about, whew, you talking about a religious man sort of squeaked and he walked. This is Nicodemus. And he and all the Pharisees believed that they're already in. They've got the credit card because they're part of God's chosen people. And because of that, they're already in. So they didn't worry about being saved or lost. They only worried about how many laws you could obey because the more laws, the more brownie points you got with God. Their whole life was building so that they could enter into the kingdom. When Jesus would come back, they're gonna, he's going to kick the Gentiles out, set up his kingdom. Who's going to be greatest? Who's going to be least? That was the whole idea of the religious people of that day. They had no clue that they were not going to enter the kingdom unless Christ had come to live in their heart. They had no idea. The sin nature of them was the same as everybody else. They were all born of Adam. But they didn't see that. They were blinded to that. So, as Jews, and especially as Pharisees, they were part of the in-group. So Nicodemus was not worried about being saved when he came to Jesus at night. That's not, that's not at all what's on his mind. But he was really curious. He just couldn't get by the things that Jesus would do. The miracles. Of course, the whole book of John he says, these things are written that you might know that he is the Son of God. And so that the whole purpose of John to give all the miracles there was to prove and show you that he was the Christ. So out of curiosity, he came by night. Now, if you did your homework, you know why, but he does not want to be seen with Jesus at any time. So he's going to come at night. But he came out of curiosity. And uh, this man came to Jesus, says in verse 2, by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Why? For no one can do these signs that you do unless God's with him. Man, we have sat down, figured it out. We've been in our little groups, and we've decided, hey, there's nobody like you, Jesus. Nobody can do this unless God sent him. You're a great teacher. You're a great. Boy, he missed it a mile, didn't he? You say, well, what's this got to do with marriage? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been around a couple that had a marriage that made you stop and look at it again? And say to yourself, that is different. That is different. And your curiosity began to raise up. And you said, how in the world can they love each other that way? How in the world can they be the friends that they are to each other? How does that work? And God begins to draw you to himself, but through the couple, a married couple. And he, because Christ lives in them, he begins to draw you to himself. It's almost like you're saying with Nicodemus, nobody can have a marriage like that. Nobody. 
These things must come from God. I've got to find out more about how they respond. Roy and Pam Hessian were dear friends of mine. I don't know if you know who Roy Hessian is. He wrote The Calvary Road. It's one of the nine Christian classics that he wrote. One of the, probably the greatest sought-after preachers in revival years ago. He's with God now. But back then, he was, came to our church for a meeting. Little did he know that there was going to be a man sitting behind him that was about to get a divorce from his wife. The man thought the woman was the problem. The man didn't realize he's the problem. And so he's sitting there watching them, and he hears them when they sit down, and he finds out that Pam has lost their airline tickets back to England, and they were supposed to leave the next day around 1 o'clock. He heard the whole conversation, and he sits back, folds his arms, and sort of smiles. Now we're going to see. Now we're going to see. I've got a couple in front of me. I've got a guy that's written nine Christian classics. I've got a guy that's the most sought-after speaker in the world when it comes to revival, and he's sitting right in front of me, and they've got a problem. Let us just see how he handles that. And Brother Roy, not knowing he was in the world, this other guy was in the world, reached over to Pam, put his hand down on her, said, Honey, honey, it's all right. It's all right. It's just a plane ticket. Maybe God doesn't want us to leave tomorrow. It's going to be okay. He never knew that this man sitting behind him heard that, became like Nicodemus to the point that, he, that was, it, his marriage was saved because of that. And Roy never, ever knew it. Probably when he got to heaven, God had to tell him. But he never knew it. You see, you start seeing stuff like that, and you think, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not him, and that's not her. I know what flesh is like. It's wicked, and every one of us are that way. So what's the difference here? This is one of the beautiful things about living, letting Jesus be who he is in your life as a saved person, because people around you are watching you, and you don't even know it. Your neighbors are watching you. We had a guy that I think he has a swastika on, carries a Uzi, was our homeowner's chairman, or whatever they're called. Homeowners associations are communist groups. Anybody, they, <laughs> he's retired, so he didn't have anything else to do. And one day we get this letter in the mail. I had a satellite dish. What was there when I bought the house? And we liked it. I like direct TV. <laughs> and so we, we liked it. Well, he came by one day. Stephen, for Christmas, our son, when he was on staff here, gave us an updated one. It was three inches longer on each end. Same height. But you could do different things with it. I don't know what we were going to do with it, but he gave it to us for Christmas. And so I go out and put it up. Well, we get this letter. I want to know the date that you bought this. I want to know who you bought it from. I mean, oh, no, no, no. And buddy, I mean, it was tough. And he said, we're going to have to take you before the Homeowners Association. I think, good grief, I didn't shoot it. My son gave me a gift for Christmas. It's like, and you know how it, how it goes through you. And I have a quick trigger. You know, when you buy a rifle, it has a 10-pound pull on it, and everybody pulls the trigger back to about 3-pound pull. You don't want to have a 10-pound pull on it, because when you shoot, you're going to jerk. If you just put it to where you touch it, it goes. I, I, at that time, I didn't have a hair trigger. I, just, I was already sh shooting before, before I thought. And I thought about writing him a letter, but he just burning him. And God said, what are you doing, boy? And we didn't. And matter of fact, we switched over to cable just to keep it from being anything that would in any way come back to haunt us in our witness in our, in our neighborhood. Well, that went on for about a year and a half until one day I was walking out to the mailbox and a car stopped right there. I said, hey, come here. I didn't know it was him until I got over there. I'm thinking, mm -hmm. and I got over there. 
when I walked over to him, he said, Wayne, Wayne, do you know this couple right here? And I gave me a name, and we knew them back in Mississippi, First Baptist Church, Brookhaven, Mississippi. And I said, yeah, I know that name. He said, yeah, that's one of our kin folks, and they, and they told me that uh, you had been their youth pastor, and I just wanted you to know that we, we know who they are, and they're kin to our family, and just thought I'd encourage you, and drove off, and I'm thinking, oh, am I glad I didn't write that letter. But you know what? This begins to catch people's attention. There's a curiosity that begins to build. There's something different about those people. What is it? What is it? And Nicodemus goes by night to find out who this Jesus is. He wants to know about him. And Jesus answered and said to him. <laughs> now, Jesus doesn't mess around. He doesn't engage him in any conversation. He goes right for the throat. Boom. I mean, he doesn't even humor him. And look what he says in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. Whoa, 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 whoa. He told him that he would never see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Now, I want to ask you a question. Can't you see what was going through Nicodemus' mind? Whoa, whoa, Do you know who you're talking to? I'm a Pharisee and I'm a member of the Sanhedrin. What do you mean I'll never see the kingdom? We're the ones up here. We're the ones who are going to usher it in when he comes. We're the ones who are going to be in the high places. That's what they thought. It's exactly the mindset that he had. But Jesus knew that. Jesus told him that all of his good works mean absolutely nothing. You'll never see the kingdom of God. I don't care how many good works you've done. Oh, you've done 613. It doesn't say you did, but let's just say you did. 613 laws. Whoa! means nothing. Nothing. Unless you're born again, you'll never even see the kingdom of God. All of his fleshly righteousness, all of his good deeds. You know, that's a, that's a shocker when we hit that, isn't it? I've asked people on the plane before, are you saved? And they say, well, I hope so. <laughs> you hope so. That's good. Okay, what are you doing to, to assure yourself to get in? I'm doing everything I can, trying to be the best person I can be. And I have to tell them, do you realize that not a single thing you can do can earn your righteousness? Not a single thing you can, I don't care how religious it is, it may bless them, but it's not going to bless you, because unless Christ is in it, enabling it, and it points back to him, then, then those works are useless. Well, when Nicodemus heard the terms born again, he had absolutely no clue what Jesus was talking about. You say, how do you know that? comes out, next verse, verse 4. <laughs> how can a man be born when he's old? And wouldn't that be the logical question somebody would say, born again? He says, he cannot enter a second time and do his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now, this is one of the strongest teachers in all of religious times of that time. He was a Jewish Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. I had absolutely no clue what Jesus was talking about. This is what we're at tonight. There's a lot of people who get married. They're on church rolls, and they're active in the church and still don't have a clue about what salvation is. They have not yet been born again or from above. Well, now suddenly he's no longer curious. Now he's confused. <laughs> uh, uh, look, that look like, you know, maybe, maybe somebody's here tonight, and I don't take anything for granted. Maybe there's somebody here tonight, your marriage is going south and you know it, and you think it's the other person's problem, but maybe you need to consider, have you been born again? That's bottom line. That doesn't mean perfection. If you know me, hang around with me for a week and you don't understand, it doesn't mean perfection. I mean, good grief, I could write a book on that. But it means something's different about you because somebody different is in you. Christ comes to be in you. 
in Reno, Nevada, where we lived for three years before we came here. <laughs> we had, it was interesting we moved to Reno. I had people, God-fearing people, woke up and said, I would never, ever put a house in a place called Reno. I would hate to stand before God and said I lived in Reno. <laughs> that was it does. You remember who it was? And uh, we moved out to Reno. And this, this guy told me one day where I could get a haircut. And I was thinking, God, I need a haircut. I'm leaving out tomorrow. I go over to this place, and you walk in, and all these uh, lights just boom, 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 flashing every which way. And this girl walks up, and she's got a pair of tights, I guess. <laughs> looked, looked like somebody painted them on And she walked up, and she had her hair spiked, and it was like a purplish something. And she said, you're Wayne. I said, uh, yeah. I started to say, no, I'm Ralph, and I'm out of here, buddy. <laughs> and she said, I'm going to cut your hair. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. I looked at her hair, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm dead. That's all this time. I'm going to kill this guy that recommended this place. We go back, and we sit down, and she starts telling me about this wild weekend she's had. And she gets very detailed. And I said, well, that's good. That's good. Got the point. And then she asked the, qu the question. I love the question. Happens to me everywhere. What do you do? <laughs> I've watched guys that are CEOs of companies start stuttering. I mean, it's like they don't know how to talk to you when you tell them what you do. I said, I'm a preacher. And when she did mother her, she got right in front of me. She wanted to tell you something. Religion never worked for me. And she said, and I just want you to know that. Never worked for me. And I said, well, praise God. Never worked for me either. And I had the same type of reaction Jesus must have had with Nicodemus. It was like, do what? I thought you were a preacher. And I said, I am, but I don't preach religion. I preach Christ. Let me explain that to you. I took it through Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 during that haircut time. Now, you think I can't do that. You think it takes three years. I did it in one haircut appointment. And that was a miracle. And when I left, tears in her eyes, she said, I will never, ever, ever be the same again. Nobody has ever told me that, that it wasn't about me being good. It's about him being good and coming to live in me. So I don't take anything for granted, even in this class. Somebody may be in here, and your marriage is not what it ought to be, and you didn't even realize the problem is you started off on the wrong foot. Now, if you're married and you, you find yourself here, i got good news, because <laughs> God's grace can change everything the moment you come to know Christ. You, both of you have got to know Christ if you're ever going to know the design he has for your marriage, you'll never know it apart from him. It can be good as far as the world looks at it, but it's a dark room that you're calling light. You don't even have a clue yet to what's there for you in Christ because he designed it, he planned it, and he's the only one that can bring it about. So can you see that if you want God's design, then that's got to be there. Well, that's the first time we see him. We see him curious. And then when Jesus nails him, boom, you'll never even see the kingdom of God. Do what, man? So I've worked all my life to see the kingdom of God. I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be one of the greatest. And then now he's totally confused. Next time you see him is in John 7. And I'm going to put some words here that aren't in Scripture, so you just have to weigh in and say, Wayne, well, you're crazy or whatever. But I think he's convicted now. I think he's very convicted. He doesn't know what to do with Jesus. He hasn't become a believer, but he's being very cautious in this. In chapter 7, verse 32, uh, the Sanhedrin sent out their officers. The officers are sent out to bring Jesus back to them. They're going to drill him. But they return without him. <laughs> now, when they return without Jesus, the Sanhedrin want to know why they didn't bring him back. In verse 45, 
It says, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, and they, the chief priests and Pharisees, said to them, the officers, why did you not bring him? <laughs> and the officer spoke, answered back and said, never has a man spoken like this. <laughs> I love that. You see, these were not Roman soldiers. You have to understand something. These were the officers of the Sanhedrin. So these are not hostile men that carry a weapon. I mean, they just went to get Jesus. They're officers of the Sanhedrin of the court. And so they go to get him, but they, he got them. It's kind of like Paul went to arrest Christians and got arrested by the Christ of Christianity. You know, it's the basic same thing. They were so overwhelmed at the teaching of Jesus that they'd never heard anything like it. The Pharisees who made up the Sanhedrin began to chide them. And you're going to see this with religious people. They're proud dudes. You see, Paul said that knowledge makes you arrogant. There are people that know so much more than I do. But you know, one of the things I've noticed about people who carry that around with them is there's no humility in their life at all. And it's never them that are wrong. It's always you that are wrong. Have you ever noticed that, a religious person, how they're so judgmental of everybody else? Hey, nothing's changed. Verse 47, the Pharisees then answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? <laughs> But they wanted to know if any of the Pharisees had believed. Why? Now, this is why it's so important to understand the danger of Nicodemus going to him at night. That was a huge danger, especially in the office that he held. It says in verse 48, no one of the rulers of the Pharisees has believed in him, has he? In other words, that was a serious act. Their arrogance and pride shone through in verse 49. But this crowd, which does not know the law... <laughs> is accursed. Isn't that interesting? How are they going to judge anybody else? You know, you, you, making, you know the guides in Israel, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people, know the whole New Testament by heart? Do they know Jesus? It's not about what you know, it's about who you know. That's the bottom line. And it changes you from within. Remember, religion can only change you from without. Their arrogance and pride continues. He said in verse 49, but this crowd, oh, I'm sorry, I already read it. Religious people are unbroken, arrogant, judgmental, but look who steps up to the plate. Now, right in the midst of this, and they're saying to these officers, they're chiding them, saying, oh, come on, you've been led astray by him too? The people don't know the law, they're accursed. Look who steps up to the plate. Nicodemus, now to make certain you know he's the same one of John 3. It says, he who came to him before being one of them said to them. So you know exactly who he's talking about. This is the same Nicodemus. Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing. Does it? I love this. He jumps right in the middle. They're, they're, they're wanting somebody to help them build their case. But Nicodemus jumps right in front of him and says, whoa, whoa, how can you judge anybody until you first heard what he has to say? Remember the man who just said, nobody's ever said and talked like this man. Now how do you he wants to hear more? He wants to hear more. Even though he's, a, he's not a believer at this point, he's at least willing to listen to Christ. He did not defend Christ. He's not really defending him, but he's appealing to them to at least hear him out. Now why would he do that? Because he knows the law. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 16. Then I charged your judges at that time, saying, Moses said, Here are the cases between your fellow countrymen, and judge righteously between a man and his fellow countrymen. Jesus was a Jew, one of them. Or the alien who is with him, you shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. And he said, You shall not fear man, because the judgment is from the Lord. So he knew that. He knew that that's the way they're supposed to be behaving here, but something's really got them turned the other way. 
And so he jumps in. But in their arrogant sarcasm, look what they say back to him. They answer him, you are not also from Galilee, are you? <laughs> You're not from Tennessee, are you? <laughs> I've heard that quite a bit. You know, it's fun out here, being going to restaurants and all, Brian and I. I don't have an accent at all, but, <laughs> but we'll go in and I'll order something and sometimes the waitress will say, can you say that again? <laughs> I just want to hear it said again. What? She wasn't sure what exactly what I said, but she wanted to hear it again. They ridiculed him as if he's one of the ignorant ones. Isn't it the best way is to tear somebody down to build yourself up? Watch out for religious people. They're everywhere. And some of them are Baptist. <clears throat> You're kidding me. Better watch out. And by the way, if you ever mess up, which all of us do, you don't want to be caught by a religious person. They will nail you to the wall. They know nothing about brokenness. They know nothing about failure. They don't even realize God uses only failures. Failure is a good word. They said, search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. You don't see any prophet. <laughs> well, there's one pretty good one that you're about to talk to here. Nicodemus was convicted by having met with Jesus and was willing to listen to what Jesus had to say. I believe Jesus had gotten his attention and disarmed all of his defenses, and now he actually stands in for the Lord Jesus in a very hostile situation, in a very difficult time, he stands in. And I, and I just wonder if you've caught yourself defending the Lord when you didn't even know him. Have you ever, ever known anybody to do that? You have respect now. You've seen what he said. You've seen how he changes other people's lives. And sometimes you find yourself defending him when you don't even know him. Well, I want to draw something for you on the board. You're going to see this in your homework this next week. Let's see. I'm going to try red. <laughs> see how that works. Uh, you're going to say, Wayne, why did you go into pastor? You should have gone into artist, been an artist. <laughs> now, that's a what? A triangle. Okay. We have God right here. Here's you. Here's your spouse over here. Now, the common misconception is that you live for one another and God will bless it. That is absolutely wrong. And you see why it's critical if you don't start off here knowing him through Christ, you have no place else to go. Like, for instance, if you have one in the marriage that's a, a Christian and the other is not, let's just say, and... They only know to live for you, and you're seeking to live for him. You see, the whole thing gets messed up. But now watch. You're going to see this in your homework next week. The more you live as a vessel to let Jesus do in you and through you what absolutely the world is baffled by, just like the Nicodemuses of this world. They can't figure this out. They went to the marriage seminars, and it didn't do this to their marriage. <laughs> the more you live this way, both of you, look how much closer you get in between. And that's the secret of what I'm trying to tell you. If you start off on the wrong foot, there's no place to go. All you can do is live for that other person. And that's where your conflicts begin to arise. Diana said something last week that uh, grabbed my attention. She said, isn't it funny that how we're opposites we are and the very thing that's opposite in your, in your spouse is the thing that attracted you to him. And as soon as you marry him who, or her, you try to make them like yourself. That's incredible how we do that. Why? Because we're, we're, we're always this way. We're always this way. 
All your conflicts come out of that. Your expectations. You know, marriage is not a problem. It's the expectations you put into it. When you begin to expect it to be this way or that way, if you do this, this, and this, and he's supposed to do this, this, and this, you've missed the whole point. Now your expectations are in Christ. And he's everything you're looking for, by the way. Your spouse can never meet your need. Only Christ can meet your need. But the weirdest thing happens. The more you live seeking after him, the more you're drawn closer in the midst. You'll see it more and more next week in your homework. He has a marvelous plan for your life. So, I don't know who's here in the sense of where you are in your walk. I don't know you that well. I'll go home with you for a month or two if you'll feed me. <laughs> but how do we get to know each other? How do we get to know each other? This has got to be between you and the Lord. I don't know. I got my walk and my failures I have to deal with every day. Every day of my life. If it was perfection, I'd bail out a long time ago. But what it is, we've got a high priest that represents us. And when we do mess up, and you will, every one of us have. His blood has already covered it. Because <laughs> we have a better covenant built on better promises. So, in the triangle, make sure you started off at the right place, or if you didn't, go back to where you should have started off. You have to go back to where you departed <laughs> if you're married. If you're not married, whoa, don't, until you first of all know him. And until your spouse first of all knows him. Your potential spouse knows him. Because you're starting on the wrong foot to see what God's design is. You don't want to call a dark room light. You don't want to adjust to something that's anything second best to what God has for you. God's will is acceptable. He says good, and it's acceptable, and it's what? It's one other word in there. Perfect. You don't want anything less than what he wants. But you cannot experience it if you don't know him. Well, finally... The last time we see him is in uh, John chapter 19. This time, he's courageous and openly confessing to everybody that he's identifying with him. I mean, this, this is unique. He didn't come at night. He's openly confessing. Every, after Jesus had gone to the cross, died for our sins, we see Nicodemus ready to identify with him. And this is so important. Every scholar that I have looked at, everyone, says that he, he's had to have come to know Christ by this time. He had to have. He would have never done what he did and been who he was had he not. Now watch, before they make this point, we see that he's in the company of another rich, very wealthy member of the Sanhedrin called Joseph of Arimathea, whom the Bible says was a secret disciple until he decided to come out of cover. Verse 38, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away the body. Now here's where it gets incredible. Again, no, no, no member of the Sanhedrin would ever do this in their right mind. You don't do this. He'd have to be a disciple. Well, he says he's a disciple of Jesus. But watch. Verse 39. Look who's with him. Nicodemus. Now how do we know it's the same one? Who had first come to him by night. Also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes about a hundred pounds Wait, and back then, that was a very wealthy thing to do. I mean, very expensive thing to do. Verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, and as, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Wow. Here's Nicodemus, who first of all was curious and snuck in by night to talk to him. 
There he was when he finally defended him and said, whoa, 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 you know, you have to hear what this man has to say before you judge him because of our own law. And now you see him casting all fear aside and identifying with Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple who's now decided to come out of cover, <laughs> and he's with him to go get the body of the Lord Jesus. There's someone maybe here who's curious, but you're confused. Maybe when you came in. Maybe you're here and uh, you're convicted, but you're cautious. You know there's something to this. You know there's something to this. Or maybe, or maybe you, you're tonight, somebody might want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I never put that behind me. We're, what we're going to get into the meat of it will come next week. But right now, you won't understand a thing we say the next seven weeks if you haven't, first of all, come to know him. Because he gives you the mind of Christ, and the Holy Spirit becomes your teacher. He begins to reveal deep truths of God to you. I'm not the teacher. He is, and he lives in me. And so he teaches me as I seek to teach you. That's, that's the fun part of any message. When you start thinking you, you've got it down, he starts teaching you as, you as you're trying to share it to somebody else. It's, it's his word, not about us. You say, well, how do I do that, Wayne? How do I do that? He says in John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in him. He equates two words. He equates receiving him with believing in him. And the idea of belief is not mental. It's much more than mental. It starts there. You have to comprehend who he is. But if you may know about him, that's not belief. That's understanding. But belief means you've cast yourself upon him to where nobody else can help you and do what only he can do. And you cast yourself. It's like, it's like taking that step off of a cliff, and he's right there beneath you and says, come on. Remember when Peter stepped out on the, on, on the water? He didn't step on the water. He stepped out on the word. Jesus said, come. He stepped out on it and held him up. That's what belief is. It's, cast, it's putting your full weight on him. It's putting everything rest on what he wants to do in your life. By believing, confessing him to be Christ, you receive him, which is, is casting yourself upon him. You say, Wayne, why are you starting here? What are you doing that for? Why is this such an important key to any marriage? Why is that the first one that we have that opens the door to God's marriage that he has for you? Why is that important? I'd rather not tell you. I'd rather Diana tell you. She's a lot better speaker than I am anyway. I think that's all. Yeah. Are we on? Let's make sure we got it. It says power. Mm -hmm. On. Testing, testing, testing. Are you back there? Testing, testing, testing. Is that on? I can't tell. I'm, I got to hear your name. <laughs> testing. How about James? There you go. There you go. There you go. Okay. Thank you. What a marvelous message. Am I on yet? Okay. Thank you, Wayne, for that. Okay, here we go. I, I had, um, I would never have seen it like that. Are you all that way? Maybe, maybe you, God has revealed that to you, but thank you. That was very good. Um, I appreciate Wayne's heart so much. I get to go home with him, and I love coming to church on Sundays and, and teachings like this on Wednesday nights because he truly lives what he teaches or seeks to. You know, we're not perfect, and we do sin, and we make mistakes, but he corrects that and, um, and walks in humbleness before me, and that is why I love 
watching him, and that's why our children are so blessed, because they got to see Dad follow Jesus Christ. But it has not always been that way. When we married, we both thought we were saved, and we both, um, he was a youth pastor in a church, and we, we thought we, well, we loved God for what we knew of him, but we didn't know his son, and we were serious, and what we believed, but we were seriously wrong in how we thought you knew Christ. And um, with God's help, I will try to explain this to you. We um, met, and as we said last week, four months later, we got married. And as soon as we got married, the very um, thing that I would love to, um, y'all pray for me. I'm, I'm, uh, it's easy for me to get rattled. Lord, help me in this. The very thing that, that drew me to Wayne uh, was his personality and, and his love for people. And um, I even prayed before I met him that God would lead me to someone that loved people and someone that other people loved. And uh, I prayed. I, I didn't know I was not a believer because I'd done the, the ritual thing that, that many of you may have done. And let me just share this with you. If you're in here tonight and you are thinking, I hope that I know Christ. I, and maybe you're like me. I, I walked the aisle. This is the way salvation was explained to me. I walked the aisle, shook the preacher's hand, and was in water. And, and, and I became a member of the church. And that's what I thought it meant to be saved. And uh, Wayne went forward when he was nine years old in vacation Bible school. And the reason he went is that it was explained to him this way. If you don't want to go to hell, you need to come forward. And he said... Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> he didn't want to go to hell, so he came forward. So we entered marriage thinking we were saved, but not having the power of Christ to forgive and, and to heal. And so after we had gotten married, um, he loved to do all of his fun things that he still loves to do. But when you're a Christian woman and you know Christ lives his life in you and through you, then after a while and when your children come along and you have a son, um, then they can go fishing together and they can go do their fun things together and you understand that. But when you first get married, he would leave me <coughs> and I didn't understand that and I thought if he loved me the way I love him, he wouldn't go off from me because I'd never leave his side. I, I just love being around him. And um, <coughs> then he was a hard worker. Well, when you're dating someone, the desire of your heart would be that you would marry someone that would want to provide for your family. <clears throat> but in his work mode, he was gone all the time because he loved, uh, he just did his work. And, and um, so I didn't like that. I didn't like that he fished and hunted, and I didn't like his working. And um, <clears throat> this is a funny thing that we laugh about. When, when we first got married is when the credit cards came out. And um, Wayne loved credit cards, and he had to have all the colors. We had so many credit cards, and we have s so many colors of credit cards, and we got into debt. <clears throat> so now my husband was gone fishing and hunting, and he worked hard, and we were in debt. And um, I just thought he was to meet my needs, and he wasn't doing it. <clears throat> we still, I still loved him, but we began to have problems. <clears throat> and... Um, but then our children came along, and, you know, that presents problems itself. And um, you love them, but, oh, it's so much different in the family then at that point. So um, I went to um, church periodically when I was growing up, and I didn't know very much about Jesus and God. And, and um, I had been around people that used God's name in vain, and it was very hard for me to say God. Uh, any of you relate to that? Did you ever have that? 
not, I'm the only one, <laughs> okay, you, you, yes, um, and you know how that is, and so I, I just didn't feel comfortable saying God, because I had heard it so many times in a wrong way, well, we had been married, I, just a few years, our daughter was about four and a half, and Stephen was two, and um, we moved from one location to another location, and Wayne gone, had gone on staff with um, this friend of his, and um, he was associate pastor, but he, he was in charge of youth. And um, so we had a meeting, you know how years ago in the South, they always had revivals. Anybody from the South, you know what I'm talking about? Yes, you do. And it was not called a Bible conference or Bible teaching. It was a revival. And it's like you'd come and, you know, you'd live for six months doing whatever you wanted to. And then you'd get revived in the fall. And then you could just live like you wanted to. <laughs> and you'd get revived in the spring. <clears throat> so that's the way we did it. And uh, we didn't understand anything about walking with Christ day by day or moment by moment. So there was a man from uh, Mobile, Alabama. And he came to Jackson, Mississippi. And he shared with us from the scriptures how God sees us. And um, he shared with us some verses. And when we got to this church, we had been there maybe four months. And one thing that we heard from, uh, from the people in the congregation, they would say this over and over again, this pastor really teaches the word of God. And, and I remember thinking in my foolishness, well, I, that's what I thought all preachers did. <laughs> you know, aren't we dumb? We don't say it. We want to appear like we know what we're talking about. And um, so he, this pastor uh, was younger than Wayne, but he would take us to the scriptures, and, and he would show us, and we could read the scriptures with our own eyes. And God began to do a work in Wayne's heart first, and then he began to do a work in mine. And um, like I said, there were some things that had happened between us. And when I saw Wayne come home and say, you know, this is this. I was reading the Bible today, and this is what God's words had to say about this. Well, then I remember we were living in an apartment at the time. And you know how apartments are so small in the kitchen area. And he was leaning on one side <coughs> of the cabinet, and I was about right here. And, and I remember I was so interested in what he had to say because I had never heard him refer to the scriptures as what God had revealed to his heart. <coughs> so um, the, this preacher that came for this revival and this Bible conference um, began to share things with us like this. And uh, it was I'd never heard these verses before, and my eyes had never read these words before. And it says in Isaiah 64, 6, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And then he shared with us in Jeremiah 17, 9, and he had us turn to Jeremiah, and I always had to look in the front because I didn't know where the places were in the Bible. But my eyes fell on these words, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I didn't know that my heart was sick and, and deceitful. I knew I lied a lot growing up because I had to to survive. <laughs> you know how that goes. And um, if, you're, if you have a parent that's kind of strict and, and they want you this or that, and you know if you say that you didn't do it, when you did do it, you'll get spanked. And, and I didn't want that, so I lied to survive. But um, I didn't know that my heart was deceitful and desperately sick. And then there was another verse that really got me, and it's found in Romans 3, uh, verse 10, and it says this, there are none righteous, no, not one. 
And when the pastor, the preacher, the visiting preacher said this from the pulpit and my eyes fell on that, do you know what my reaction was? It was like he said, there are none righteous, no, not one. And I said to myself there in the congregation, I said to myself, but I'm righteous. And the, what I was basing that on is this, that I tried so hard growing up being a good daughter, a good student, and then after I got married, I wanted to be a good wife, and I wanted to be a good mother, and I wanted to, to um, <coughs> be with the people in our congregation, and I wanted to be a good youth pastor's wife. And um, I went home with that verse on my mind, and that was the first night of the meeting. And when, it, when I went to bed, I thought about this. There are none righteous, not even one. Well, God used that verse and the other two verses to get my attention. And the other verse that he shared is found in 1 Samuel. And I did not mark the place. Well, that's all right. It's, oh, here it is. It's um, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And um, I will take out it's 7b. And it says, God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart and God began to convict me that week and the meeting went on all week and I had prayed the sinner's prayer so many times because I thought it was the words of the prayer that would save a person and every spring and every fall when a, and when a visiting preacher would come in and we would have revival they would always take you to the prayer at the end and they would say if you do not know Christ you need to pray this prayer pray this prayer after me I prayed them every time because I wanted to know that I knew Christ and I thought I didn't pray that sentence I left that sentence out so I must not be saved well this particular time I didn't pray a prayer but I still remember that I was sitting it was in an auditorium similar to this and I was in the row uh, right back there where you are dear brother and God it was as if God just lifted me up out of that seat and I stepped out in the aisle and I came forward and I knelt and I didn't talk to anyone I didn't pray but that night I gave myself to Jesus because he had revealed to me how he saw me and I didn't know that God could see inwardly in my heart and I know that sounds childlike but that's exactly the way that it was and I didn't go home and tell Wayne that I had gotten saved but the next morning at the breakfast table I said I, I need to I, I need to tell you what happened to me this week and I said I I don't understand it but the only thing that I can say is that God just opened me up and he let me see how he sees me through the scriptures and that very day I went to um, they called him a, a one of the ministers on staff and he was the one in charge of getting all the Sunday school teachers together and I'd had a Sunday school class <laughs> teaching women and I wasn't even saved and um, but I, I didn't think about that at the moment but I did think that um, but you know God can use the, the power of his word to, to teach other people even when he's using a vessel that didn't know him but I went to this minister of music uh, to minister of education is what we called him in that day and I asked him to forgive me because I was always showing up late for my class. And like I said last week, that's, that's a, a weakness that I have in my character. And I'm, I was on time again tonight, and praise God. <laughs> I know we have to get here in the spirit, so I know I have to get extra uh, early, extra early. So um, get on time or whatever. <laughs> get ready on time. But um, so I went to ask him to forgive me and I had never asked anybody to forgive me because in my pride and being lost, I never thought I did anything wrong. And God began to show us at that point, and then I'll close with this, that um, 
and I was listening to a preacher preach one day, and he said that your husband was never designed by God to meet your needs. And they said, only Jesus Christ can do that. And all the things that I was blaming him for, of being in debt, of going hunting and fishing, of having fun, of working hard, um, those were the things that God had allowed to come into my life to show me that in my desperation of feeling lonely, of knowing that we were in debt, of a husband that I had that worked so hard, if he had been there to meet my need, I never would have come to know Jesus Christ like I know him today. So you might just say to yourself tonight, where is it that you and your marriage, where are you being squeezed? And, and say, well, Lord, I never thought about it like that, but are you allowing this irritation that I have with this, with this husband of mine, are you allowing that to be in my life so that I can look to you? And um, so when you do that, it takes the pressure off of your spouse because you're not hounding him every day and, um, and blaming all your, all your um, whatever you're going through, your frustration on him. And then it was like, I'm sure he thought, oh, it sure is much nicer to come home now with a saved wife. <laughs> so um, we have many more stories to tell you and all, but I, I just want you to say, to, I, I want you to know this, that if you're like I was, I was 28 years old at the time, and you might be saying, but I'm 48 or I'm 68 or I'm, I'm 25 or whatever, it doesn't matter. If you hear the voice of Jesus calling you tonight, let tonight be the day day of your salvation and don't let pride stand in the way um wayne and i will be here after class and if you want to come and say boy i i i heard i understand what you're saying because that's exactly the way i am tonight um my precious aunt went to be with the lord and i saw her just a few days before she was in a nursing home in illinois and and um i didn't know her very well because we'd always lived away from her and um, she had Alzheimer's, and, and I didn't know how much I was getting to her, but I asked her this question. I said, Aunt May, do you know Jesus Christ? She was a churchgoer, and her little word, she was so feeble, and she said, well, I hope so. I hope so. And in her not being able to fully understand, I just sang the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. And um, I, I just want you to know that the scripture says that these things were written in First John that you might know that you have eternal life. You don't have to just say, I hope so. So humble yourself tonight if God is speaking to you because that's a mighty wonderful thing to hear the voice of God touching your heart. God bless you. Appreciate dying as we go through this. You know, the, <laughs> you know the parable of the prodigal son and the one that was out in the field didn't do anything wrong, but you can tell the difference of which one we would be. I'm the culprit. <laughs> I never once thought I was righteous. <laughs> I can't remember a single time. But I wanted you to hear from her because that's what changed our marriage. That's what changed everything. When Christ came to live in us. I was in the, I was in the ministry for eight years when that took place. Good to have saved praise you know my personal feeling is that a lot of marriages don't understand why they're not working it's because they never got off on the right foot to start with and if christ is not in your heart forget it you will never know his design in marriage until he comes to live in you then as you learn to let him be who he is in you he just starts drawing you together and your marriage becomes exactly 
that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. All the warts and everything. <laughs> he loves us in spite of us. Your flesh will never get any better. Have you figured that out yet? For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.